Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hello and welcome to the Jeff Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined for the first time ever by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing? How's it going, Justin? I am thrilled to be on the Jet Press Podcast. Let's get this thing started. Dude, I know. We have been trying to get this started for a while now. It's been a long time coming. It's been months in the making, honestly. Uh, I know there's a lot of great Jets content out there, a lot of great Jets podcasts. We're just trying to throw our hats in the ring and just, you know, talk some Jets. I'm excited. Are, uh, are you excited, Mike? I am thrilled. And what a day to start on because, my goodness, we check up on Twitter earlier in the day, and then we see Mike LaFleur fired as the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets. And then – we wait about 15 minutes and we refresh Twitter. Mike LaFleur is not fired. He is still the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets. And this is going to be a topic that really dominates the offseason for a couple of reasons, honestly. Most importantly, because the fan base is getting very polarized right now. There's firm pro LaFleur, anti LaFleur camps. I think both you and I are firmly in the... I would say pro LaFleur camp because this is a guy who comes from that Shanahan system where pretty much everybody except him. So either he's the one guy from the Shanahan system that doesn't work or, you know, or he's just this genius. So who, who knows? So, so LaFleur, the problem that I have with everybody all of a sudden just bailing on the floor, let's just take a look at his quarterbacks for a little bit. Zach Wilson unplayably bad let's not sugarcoat things unplayably bad at times joe flacco there were times where he looked like he'd rather be in guantanamo bay than on the sidelines especially during that jaguars game on the sideline where strevler came in i mean that's how dire that mike white trying his best playing with five shattered ribs you can't evaluate a guy with this quarterback situation like let's be real here it's tough. It's been a it's been a wild day, uh, I think, for Jets fans, especially, you know, Jets Twitter uh, from the the Aaron Wilson report late in the morning. It's probably like 1130 or something that, you know, said the Jets were going to part ways with Michael Floor to moments later, numerous Jets beat reporters kind of refuting that claim. Uh, it, it's been a wild day. I don't know what the Jets are doing with Michael Floor, but I am with you in that. And I think we're we're, we're I, I know we're 100 percent in the minority here that. I do believe the Jets should keep Michael Floor. Uh, I think he's an imperfect offensive coordinator who has been dealt a very, very difficult hand over the first couple years of his career uh, as a play caller. He has had the worst quarterback play in the NFL over the last two years. And, of course, you can definitely 
put some of that blame on him and he will take some of the heat for Zach Wilson's failures. A hundred percent. The Jets job was to develop Zach Wilson and Zach Wilson has, if anything, regressed. Um, so that I think the play caller, the offensive coordinator will take some, some heat for that. But ultimately I think he's created a scheme that has been proven to work with four different quarterbacks at different points. Um, Josh Johnson for crying out loud. Josh Johnson had a really good ga- uh, game with the, uh, with, you know, within this scheme last year. So it is, It's tough to evaluate the guy. Uh, I do think, and the Jets have already said that regardless of what happens with Michael Floor, they will be bringing in a veteran offensive mind, whether that's a Greg Olson or Gary Kubiak or whoever, to at at a bare minimum pair with Michael Floor. We still don't know. He could be fired. Um, And, you know, there's going to be some speculation that Aaron Wilson's report is accurate, essentially. And basically, you could, you know, you could argue that maybe he came forward with the report before he should have and it wasn't confirmed, but it still might happen. We really don't know. Um, But I still am in the camp that I'd like to see Michael Floor get another year. I'd like to see him get another year, mostly because... I'm not a fan of people just saying fire the offensive coordinator because, number one, that's pretty much just an easy catch-all situation for someone's bad on the offense, get rid of them. Like, unless you've got a proven guy that can come right in and immediately make the offense better. Like, obviously, this is complete fairy dreamland because he's getting head coaching interviews. If you were saying, all right, we're going to fire Mike LaFleur, but we got Frank Wright coming in, then that's a perfect situation. I'd be totally fine with that. But – who are you going to hire? Because number one, either you're going to hire a position coach from one of the best offenses in the league, which is basically what LaFleur was as the passing game coordinator for San Francisco anyway. So it's not really changing much. It's just rearranging the deck chairs. Or you're going to get a retread who's just fired right. elsewhere. Yeah, unless you were going to get someone, like you said, that is a proven commodity, I don't think the Jets would do this. And I also don't think it would be a Robert Sala decision. This would be a decision likely coming down from ownership, likely coming down from Woody Johnson, who basically wants someone to blame for the Jets' failures. Uh, You know, the Jets lost their final six games of the season. They didn't score a touchdown in the last three games. They were 29th in points per game. The, The Jets had a bad offense this year. They had a bad offense last year. And if you want a scapegoat and you're looking for somebody to blame, Michael Floor is the obvious candidate. Um, I think that if anything we know about Robert Sala is that he wants consistency. He wants stability. He wants to let his young players and his young coaches grow and develop. The issue is that Woody Johnson might not feel the same way. I'm not sure where Joe Douglas would lay on this. I, I think that he would agree more with Sala, and I think he'd be more on Sala's side, but we really don't know. We should find out some clarity on the situation within the coming days, um, but we don't really know right now. Mike, I, I'll throw this out there, though. If the Jets were to move on from Michael Floor, who is it that you would want? I know you already threw out Frank Reich. Uh, what are some names, if you you know have some on, on hand, that you think the Jets should target uh, if they do move on from Michael Floor? Well, you brought up Greg Olson earlier. For those who don't know, Greg Olson has had a couple stints with the Raiders as an offensive coordinator, helping a certain quarterback named Derek Carr, who, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, could end up being on the Jets next year. So that at least makes sense. The offense was very similar. I'm going to throw out a bit of an unconventional option that I think could really work. And this is not a guy who has connections to Sala, which is going to be a huge factor in the decision-making. So if Sala decides to get out of his comfort zone, hire somebody he's not familiar with, how about Todd Munkin from Georgia, mm-hmm. who with Stetson Bennett, like, all right, Stetson Bennett, national championship winner, that's great. He's 25 years old playing 19-year-old kids. I mean, that's this is Chris Wanky levels of <laughs> the difference in physical talent here, especially with all the guys around him. But remember back when he was in the NFL with Tampa Bay earlier, I mean, he had Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing for nine yards an attempt in Tampa. I mean, that was as gung-ho, bombs away, fearless an offense as possible. 
And then he goes over to Cleveland. He honestly was not great with Cleveland, but that was Freddie Kitchens too. So that was just a complete, you almost want to just write that off and go, all right, like, sorry, I had to deal with Freddie Kitchens. People forget too. Munkin actually, I believe, interviewed for the Jets job before they hired Gase. Yeah, that, that was part of that hiring cycle. He had a lot of interviews that year. So if you want to say, all right, we're bringing in Todd Munkin and we're just going to go four verts, chuck it deep to Garrett Wilson, I could get behind that. If you're just going to go hire another Shanahan guy who's an assistant right now or try to drag Gary Kubiak, who's probably smoking a cigar on a beach somewhere, and say, hey, go work with Zach Wilson, if <laughs> I'd prefer Todd Munkin. Yeah, I think Munkin would be very much a Woody Johnson decision. That would be Woody Johnson just throwing money at someone. Well, Aaron LaFleur would probably be a Woody Johnson decision anyway, so why not just – Exactly. So if, if they were to if they were to move on from LaFleur like, – like I, I like Mike LaFleur. I'm a Mike LaFleur, def- LaFleur defender. But if they can get Todd Munkin and bring someone like him in here, absolutely do that. Like I, I don't hesitate. The Jets shouldn't hesitate. The issue is obviously that's so difficult. I, I do love that shout though. I did I did have a uh, as a cheap plug. I had an article come out recently. It was nine uh, you know nine coordinators the Jets could potentially hire to replace Michael Floor. And I'm convinced that Aaron Wilson sent out that tweet just to spike up the traffic on that because it's been thanks well Aaron Wilson. Uh, I'll scratch thanks, your back. Uh, yeah, um, but I, I did have uh, Todd Munkin listed on that as kind of just a pipe dream situation, right? Where it's more so just if they want to swing for the fences and they want to throw a lot of money at a guy who is a proven commodity, Munkin makes sense. He did have a stint, like you said, with the Browns. And unfortunately that kind of just tanked his value because it was almost, it was, it was the ill-fated Freddie Kitchens here. Like you mentioned, Um, he's revitalized his career, revitalized his resume at Georgia. And if he wants to make the move back to the NFL, I'm not saying the jets are the most likely team to get him. I definitely don't think so. And I don't, I'm not sure he even wants to move because, honestly, why would he at this stage? Uh, but if he's open to it and the Jets are willing to just throw money at him, do it. You know, I think another guy that kind of falls in that same camp is a Cliff Kingsbury, uh, another guy who, who made his career in college. Of course, he was just fired by the Arizona Cardinals. Who knows? He might want to take off a year. There's a lot of you know moving parts with that. But. I mean, heck, the guy is a proven play caller. He's 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 been around. He's he's run a lot of successful offenses in his career. He's done a lot of great work with a lot of. I mean, obviously, he coached Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think he's somebody that if you want to just throw the bag at and say, "Hey, let's do everything we can to bring him in." Now, again, he doesn't have any ties to the coaching staff. And again, if there's one thing we know about Robert Sala, and honestly, NFL coaches, is that they choose familiarity over other options. Kingsbury does not have any ties to the coaching staff. He's not a Greg Olson. He's not a Doug Marone, whoever you're going to throw out there, right? But he is a proven commodity. And it's someone that, you know, you might run into like a Greg Williams situation where Woody Johnson goes like ownership points and says, hey, we want this guy and we're going to pair you with this coaching staff, regardless of what the coaches think. I would be on board with that. I'd be on, on board with Kingsbury. I'd be on board with Munkin. More so than like a, you know, a Doug Marone or, I mean, I Greg Olson might be cool. I'm just throw, I'm throwing out guys who have history with Robert Solid, right? Doug Marone, uh, Nathaniel Hackett is another one that'll probably be thrown around a lot. That, that history in Seattle. Um, All right, I mean, the Jets. Will, imagine I'm, just I want to stop you right there because I want to imagine just look into the future a little bit. Imagine there's all this consternation and toing and froing about who's going to be the offensive coordinator, and they hire Nathaniel Hackett after what we just saw in Denver. I mean, yeah, they, they may they might. That, that's a reading a riot act. That is reading a riot tough. act right there. It would be tough to sell on the fan base. And, you know, we Woody in the past has shown that he cares a lot about what Jets fans think. Um, so it's it would be tough to sell Nathaniel Hackett. 
I think it's a lot easier to sell Kingsbury. Um, obviously, it'd be easy to sell Munkin. Other names that I had on that list that are just kind of guys who have experience in the NFL and have connections with Robert Sala. Um, Jay Gruden is an interesting option. Uh, they He didn't actually cross paths, I don't believe, with Sala, but he did with Ron Middleton uh, in Tampa and Jacksonville. So that's one. Uh, another one that I have not seen anybody mention, and I don't know how realistic it would be, but Troy Calhoun, who's the the head coach at uh, Air Force, he's been the head coach since like 2007. Uh, he was a part of Gary Kubiak's first staff in Houston, along with Robert Sala. I think that'd be an interesting decision. Air Force has had a lot of success in recent years. They've had very successful offenses. Um, I have no idea if Troy Calhoun would want to go to the NFL, but I'm just as a run game know, coordinator, I wouldn't mind it if he's just doing the run game. But now here's the here's the one problem I have with all these names you threw out. Let's just look at the situation if they fire Mike LaFleur, who I believe is the 11th or 12th offensive coordinator in the last 23 years. So yeah, I think he's making turn it through, guys. So here's the more concerning part about it is you're going to say, hey, come work with the Jets. As of now, it might change. As of now, your starting quarterback is Zach Wilson. You essentially have a playoff mandate. Otherwise, everybody's getting fired, including you. You have your running back, who admittedly is amazing, coming off an ACL injury. Two wide receivers, Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, have said in the past they don't want to be there. The offensive line is still a mess, and you got to hit the ground running immediately. Why is that an attractive situation? So if, if you try to go after guys with options that can go to one of a bunch of different teams, why would they go to the Jets? Agree. Unless money talks that much, which when it comes to coaching, it generally doesn't because coaches aren't really willing to sacrifice their careers or sacrifice their resumes for a situation that they deem to be failing. I think that a lot of people know that if the Jets don't make the playoffs in 2023 or if they don't, I'm not saying it's a definite playoff mandate, but if they don't have a really good reason why they didn't make the playoffs, that Salah's job's on the line, as is Joe Douglas, and the Jets could completely clean house. That is totally on the table. And I think any offensive coordinator that they would look to bring in to replace Michael Floor would know that as well. So I agree with you. I don't know if there would be um, they would have the most appealing, or they'd be the most appealing destination to a coaching candidate out there, um, which could limit their options, which again, it's why I would stick with the floor. I would stick with the floor. Bring in somebody. They already said they're going to do it, but absolutely bring in somebody to to be that experienced veteran mind in the coaching staff. The guy that, you know, it's been talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but the role that Greg Knapp was supposed to fill before his tragic passing. They obviously didn't really have much of a choice in 2021 when Greg Knapp passed away. 2022, they opted not to bring in another veteran coach because they wanted to, as the Jets have said, kind of limit the noise in the quarterback room. They wanted to get less, what's the phrase, less chefs and less cooks in the kitchen. Is that Too what it is? Too many cooks in the uh, kitchen. Yeah, there you go, that one. Uh, they wanted to get less cooks in the kitchen. They just kind of wanted to limit the noise around Zach Wilson, have instead of five guys telling him what to do, maybe two guys. They did that. Obviously, the results weren't promising. So that was the issue they made, the mistake they made there. But I don't think that they're going to make that mistake in 2023. They're going to bring in a veteran guy, whether it's to replace Michael Floor or whether it's to work with Michael Floor. They're definitely bringing in someone. The Michael Floor critics, I just wanted to ask because they oh, Michael Floor's terrible, his play calling's vanilla. Like, what does he need to do that he is not doing that will make Zach Wilson good? Because this Zach Wilson question is just going to hover over this team until he either balls out next year, which highly unlikely considering some of the numbers, or they get rid of him. And when you look at Zach Wilson's season in totality, or his first two years in totality, not only have they been bad, I mean 54% completion, 54 Guys complete 66 regularly. This is 54. It's like we're watching football from 1983. 
These numbers are not just bad. They're historically bad. If you look at EPA, completion percentage over expected, stats like that for guys that have come in in the last 10 years or a little over the last 10 years, look at some of the names he's alongside. Josh Rosen, John Skelton from Fordham. Shout out Fordham Rams. <laughs> I mean, Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert. Deshaun Kaiser. It's not an exaggeration to say Zach Wilson, even he's not Achilles Smith, David Klingel ever bad, but he's still kind of on that fence. If he becomes even an average or who's average starter in the league right now, Ryan Tannehill's probably, if he even becomes like a Ryan Tannehill level player, that would be one of the most improbable, insane comebacks, reinventions, whatever you want in league history. That's how unprecedented it would be. Are you willing yeah. to tie both yourself as a coordinator and as a coach, Robert Sala, as a GM, Joe Douglas, to that? Because right now, they really don't have a plan going forward. They have a dream. Whilst admirable, it's a dream. It's just foolish to only go into that next year saying, all right, maybe if we just get someone else around Zach Wilson, then we'll all be fine. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I, I think the Jets kind of see Zach Wilson as a developmental plan. They don't they're not looking at him as somebody that they're gonna rely on in any way to start next year. Honestly, they're kind of probably looking at him if he's even on the roster, which of course that's the million dollar question. But if he's on the roster, it's gonna be in a essentially a red shirt role. I don't think that they're gonna want him even as the as the second string. And if they did, that would be gross malpractice, honestly. If Zach Wilson came back in twenty twenty three and was the primary backup. That's a problem. But like when somebody you hear quotes like "Come hell or high water, we're developing this guy." I mean, that is a full-throated defense of Zach Wilson and of Joe Douglas's scouting. So I'm, I'm operating also, as if he's going to get consideration for that starting job. I think the coaches are saying the right thing. I think they're saying what they have to say. Also, they're saying what they have to say to increase his trade value. Because if they even hint that they were, are willing to move on from him, that already decreases his trade value right there. If the Jets get a trade package that they think is good enough, whatever that is, I'm not going to even estimate what their internal valuation is on Zach Wilson. But if they get a trade, a trade package that they think is worth it, they probably will move on. Unless Woody Johnson is in Joe Douglas's ear saying, you cannot trade Zach Wilson, which you can't discount that. I don't. I would like to believe that that's not the case. Woody, for the most part, and Christopher Johnson, they've, they've kind of stayed out of Joe Douglas's way during his time here, which has been a great thing. Uh, I would really hope that Woody Johnson wouldn't step in now and just start meddling, but it's Woody Johnson. You know, you, you never know. He has a history of doing stuff like that. But I, I do think that um, they're not necessarily tied to him being on the roster next year. I think that they tef- definitely could move on. And if they don't, 
he's going to be the third string. They're not going to rely on him as the third string. Joe Douglas and Robert Sala know that they, the Jets need to succeed next year. They need to make the playoffs. And if they don't, they need a damn good reason why they didn't make the playoffs. And having Zach Wilson, even as the backup is already just potentially tanking those plans. Well, he, he's not going to be in, in the situation. Like he's not going to factor into the starting quarterback picture in 2023, barring numerous injuries. Here's the problem that I have with just the concept of, Oh, Zach Wilson, the developmental guy for the Jets at this point, which number one, like, this was mentioned when Wilson had those comments after the Patriot. I don't let the defense down. It's like, oh, really? Three points? Okay. Like, who has lost a locker room, especially to that level where it's a starting quarterback in year two and then got it back? So immediately, like, why even keep him around? Would he even want to be back at this point? I mean, it just seems like the relationships are broken. And number two, what's always been the big thing beyond the ability to read the field, beyond accuracy deep down the field, mechanically, has always been the problem, just his footwork, his ability to process and quickly in drops. That's been his big issue. And you, do you really think, like, I'm not saying the Jets have the best coaches ever. Do you think they're just not telling him these things? Of course they're trying to tell him these things. And it's just not working. I just don't believe hiring an off, a new offensive coordinator. Like, Greg Olson's an okay offensive coordinator. I just don't think Wilson mentally is at a spot where he's going to be able to absorb things that quickly in like a couple months and then turn things around. Yeah, no, he, he's mentally broken right now. Like if there's no other way of putting it. Uh, I know we got Kevin Chat saying that JD tr- uh, trading Zach Wilson is admitting he failed at number two. Yeah, but also uh, I would argue, I would argue that getting fired after uh, this coming season is also admission of failure, uh, at least from the Jets ownership. Uh, I don't think that Joe Douglas at this stage, and I know we've seen him kind of, show an unwillingness to admit failure. We can talk about, you know, keeping Braden Mann for as long as he has and other other moves, but I don't think that he's going to let his pride and ego get in the way of moving Zach Wilson at this stage. Uh, I think that would be a Woody Johnson decision. Joe Douglas knows the Jets need to be, make the playoffs in 2023. Like, he, he knows that. Otherwise, his job is on the line. If you're fighting for your job as a GM, you're if you, and, and you're still letting your pride and ego get in the way, then you're already losing the battle. And I, I think better of Joe Douglas than for him to to let that happen. Uh, it would be an admission of failure. You're absolutely correct. It absolutely would be. Well, I thought the benching was an admission of failure, if I'm being perfectly honest. How many starts was he in, like 19, 20? That's a great and point. Now, how many, how many second overall picks are benched that early into their career? You know, I think that them, the Jets already doing that. Like you said, Mike, that's a great point, is an admission of failure. So I don't think the Jets are afraid to admit failure with Zach Wilson. In fact, they literally had Mike LaFleur go out there. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if he was authorized to say it, but Mike LaFleur in his postseason press conference said that the Jets probably should have sat him his first year, right? That is the definition oh, of really? an admission of failure. Like, <laughs> hindsight like, that's the, Yeah, that's the definition of an admission of failure. And it's not even an admission of failure of his part. That's an admission of failure on the ownership or, or on the front office. Um, so I don't think that that will get in the way. My hunch right now, is that Zach Wilson will be back in 2023. I don't think that they're going to, knowing Joe Douglas, I don't think he's going to just trade him away for anything. They need to get something that's going to meet their valuation. And again, I'm not going to even speculate. Who knows what it could be. But if they don't get that that valuation, he's going to be on the roster probably just in a developmental role, which sucks because then you, you know, you have to kind of roster three quarterbacks the entire year, which, you know, I know they did this year anyway, but a lot of teams don't like doing that, but I, I do think that's the most likely outcome. Well, I think things could change because if you look at, especially this year, how many teams need quarterbacks, 
and how weak of a quarterback draft. This reminds me of the 2015 quarterback draft where everybody knew Jameis Winston was going to go number one. Everybody knew Mark Mariota was going to go number two. And then I don't think we had anybody picked until Garrett Grayson and Sean Mannion in the third round. Now, obviously, it's a little bit better than that because you got Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, but I still have my doubts about both of them. I'm not even sure Richardson's a first-round pick at this point. So there's going to be a lot of teams clamoring, especially with guys that have older quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, potentially considering retirement. So it's this really interesting dichotomy going on because at one point you're like, oh, if they get like a two, like the uh, Cardinals got for Josh Rosen, then you do that. Well, who would offer him that? Well, teams are desperate. You never know. If they, if they get a good trade offer, maybe a team like Arizona with Kyler Murray being hurt for the first couple games of the year. I think you have to consider, I know they'd be eating a lot of money, but at the same point, I think if Joe Douglas is also serious about making the postseason and erasing that Wilson blemish on his resume, in addition to the Becton uh, blemish, which is also not looking very good right now, I feel like he just, look, let's just rip the bandit off. Let's just forget this even happened. Let's just get a third-round pick, use it on like a backup cornerback, and move on from here, Excelsior. I think keeping him around just kind of permeates this whole like stench of failure that's currently around the Jets right now. And it has been for the last couple months. Yeah. Kev's got another uh, comment. He said, thoughts on Steve Young stating that Mike LaFleur, uh, tough love stance doesn't work on Zach Wilson. What does that say about Zach Wilson? I think that every quarterback obviously is different. Every human being, every person is different. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a strong indictment on Zach Wilson. Uh, I think that every coaching staff just needs to now know who they're dealing with. Um, and every quarterback just handles it differently. Now that's not saying that, you know, you should go all like Kyler Murray and stuff because I think the Cardinals have, have re that's a, that's another story, obviously, but you know, <laughs> lack of maturity and everything along those lines. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a direct indictment on Zach, Zach Wilson, but I will say that, of course, Steve Young knows Zach Wilson very well. He knows what works with him. He knows what doesn't work with him. I think back to the kind of the point which you were saying before, Mike, is that Zach Wilson's failures are very much, um, I'd say, on himself more than the Jets. I think that, especially like you, you were bringing up the stats before, of all the quarterbacks that he's kind of comparable to statistically, whether it's John Skelton, Deshaun Kaiser, Josh Rosen, Jamarcus Russell, whoever. Jake Locker. <laughs> Jake, yeah, yeah, Jake. Well, Jake, Jake Locker was, he was all right. All right. Uh, would, Gee, what, where's the bar for you, Justin? Jake Locker was all right. Better than the other guys, I'd say. He's not Zach Mettenberger bad, but uh, I, I would say Zach that. Zach Mettenberger bad. That's not an accomplishment. Back, back, didn't he get benched in the XFL, Zach Mettenberger? I, I bet he, he did. did. So did Christian uh, Hackenberg. Well, at least I he think played. Mettenberger uh, came in for Christian Hackenberg. That would make sense. <laughs> that would make sense. But anyway, um, I think that that the, when you look at those guys, the guys you can compare to Zach Wilson, they all had significantly worse like supporting casts and worse situations that they were in. Which is what, and that's not saying Zach Wilson's in a perfect situation, but this isn't the Chicago Bears. This the, the Jets roster is not bad. They have a, a great wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. They had a great running back in Brees Hall. Uh, they have another good playmaker, Elijah Moore, and they have two good tight ends. The offensive line, while terrible over the last stretch of the season, wasn't awful before then. It was league average to probably below average. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, the offensive line is one of those things where fans just, oh, nobody's blocking. It's like, well, Zach Wilson holds the ball for four seconds. Like, how long do you want him to sustain yeah. blocks here? So I would say that his failures are, are primarily on Zach Wilson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely things that the Jets coaching staff could have done differently with Zach Wilson. Um, whether you know, specifically Michael Floor, you could argue that hey, he probably didn't play to his strengths when 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 Zach Wilson was out there. He didn't get him on the move enough. You could all, you could absolutely make those arguments. Maybe they could have handled him, you know, emotionally better. Maybe they could have personally spoke to him differently. But bottom line is, 
Zach Wilson's bad. Like he's just been a bad NFL quarterback through two years. I do think to answer the question that he is on the roster next year, I do think he will be on the roster, but I also don't think it's the formality. Even if he is on the roster, he's not going to factor into the quarterback situation, at least the starting quarterback situation. The only way I really have a problem with the only thing rather in the way that the Jets coaches handled Zach Wilson would be, I felt like they gave him a lot of mixed messages early in his career because Early in his those like first those Carolina games, even early in that New England game, they were letting him rip it deep down the field because they wanted to take advantage of the great arm strength and the off platform throws and all those things. And then he started throwing those horrible interceptions. They're like, all right, don't do any of that and be super safe. So he's kind of had these two competing philosophies, sort of beating him down. And then he's like, well, what do you want out of me? So like, in in a sense, I could get that, but at the same time, this is what makes some of that Michael Floor criticism so crazy to me. Like, the offense is good. LaFleur is getting guys open. I mean, Garrett Wilson, 1,100 yards. That doesn't just happen by accident. And what, do you say, what you're saying is, oh, yeah, LaFleur is occasionally not a great play caller, so therefore fire him and try to make Zach Wilson work again? Like, Wilson has – it'd be one thing, again, if Wilson was just flatlining or slight improvements but not quite there. Like, almost like what Geno Smith did his second year where he made a little bit of improvement – but he just wasn't quite there. I mean, he's regressing. I mean, this is bad. Like, we remember that Jacksonville game. I mean, that that Jacksonville game. I, I was there. I was at the game. I sat in so the – you know better than anybody. That, that felt like the end. end. That felt like the absolute end. Put him in the dirt. RIP Zach Wilson as a Jet. Yeah. I, I think a big issue that the Jets coaching staff ran into with Zach Wilson this year was the kind of conflicting schools of thought of – we want to develop Zach Wilson, but we also want to make the playoffs. And I think that's why you had those two different kind of philosophies going out there. On one hand, you want to develop Zach Wilson. You want to play to his strengths and you want to let him go out there and make mistakes and learn from them. But on the other hand, you want to make the playoffs and you want to start the guy who's going to give you the best chance of doing that. And they believe that was Mike White. And I, in hindsight, yeah, I certainly argue it was Mike White. I don't want to hear the, the QB wins people. Um, that's not to say that Mike White is great. Hey, Kenny but he Pickett was probably great. They're probably loving Kenny Pickett right now. Oh, I'm sure. Sam Darnold won a game with like 40 passing yards. Oh, yeah. Darnold's great. Four and two went with the Panthers. Yeah. They're probably loving that. Um, yeah. But like, and so I think that was the issue in that they benched him early, probably earlier than a lot of teams would have, because they were trying to make the playoffs and because they realized that one, I mean, it's two reasons. They realized one, that they needed better quarterback play if they're going to make the playoffs, that they could not make the playoffs with Zach Wilson playing that way. But also, two, he was just, and we touched on it before, so mentally broken and just like, he was doing more damage to himself going out there every, every, every week. He, had the, he was doing he had the yips. He was Steve Blatt. He was Rick Ankeel. He was Mackie Sasser. He, he just, I mean, he's skipping screens. He's overthrowing guys in the flat. Like these aren't just coaching tweaks that need to be made. This is a full scale teardown. You got to do. Yeah. Uh, Kev's got another point here and we, yeah, we touched on this before, but I, I agree. It was, he said it was a disaster to have all rookie coaches teach raw, but a ta- teach a raw, but talented quarterback. Uh, and I agree. I, I totally agree with that sentiment. Again, the plan was for Greg Knapp to be there in 2021. Unfortunately, his tragic passing prevented that from happening. Then going into 2022, we touched on this before, but you know, going into 2022, uh, they wanted to just have less voices in Zach Wilson's ear. That was the rationale for not bringing in a veteran. But they're going to correct that this season. Uh, we'll see if Zach Wilson is the guy who benefits from it or if it's a Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. We're not going to get into the 
full quarterback discussion right now. We'll save that for a future stream. That probably could be a, a podcast in its own right, just talking all about the quarterback situation. <laughs> um, but I think we could put a nice little bow on the Zach Wilson conversation and just say, we'll see. You know, we'll see if he's on the roster. Um, I, I My prediction right now is that he is. Mike, what is your prediction? Do you think that Zach Wilson is on the Jets week one 2023 roster? I don't think so. Okay. I think at some point it'll be a Josh Rosen type thing where some team either is full of themselves from a coaching perspective. They're, oh, we can fix him. We saw the BYU Pro Day throw. We can get that arm back out of him again. We we were watching those throws against Boise State and Little Sisters of the Poor and, and DeVry and ITT Tech and all those schools he played his last year, and we can get him back to that. And I feel like if they get a third-round pick, why not do it? Why not use That's that third-round pick on another quarterback, reset the clock? Then you get an actual starting quarterback who's not – mentally scared to throw the ball seven yards to an open receiver. And then we'll cook with that. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. And I I think Zach Wilson's struggles and failures make it difficult to evaluate the 2022 season as a whole, right? Like I think going into the year, a lot of Jets fans were like, all right, we want to see improvement. We want to see competitive game football games in December. We want to see the Jets in the hunt. We want to see them push for a playoff spot. And we want to see Zach Wilson take that step forward and prove that he could be the franchise guy. Some of that happened. A lot of it did, but the Zach Wilson stuff didn't happen. And I think that combined with the late season collapse is why a lot of people are of a skewed vantage point of how this season developed. And if this season was a success, if it was a failure, I think we should talk about that. Mike, I'll lay it to you first. Do you think that the Jets season in 2022, do you think it was a success or do you think it was a failure? Absolutely a success. These people who are just saying now, all right, so you guys want to see improved play, you want to see the rookies play well, and you want to see meaningful, meaningful football in yeah. December and January. That's what you wanted to see. You got it, and now you're still not happy. Not only are you not happy, you're not happy to the point where you want to fire the offensive coordinator, and I've seen some talking about the head coach. It, it's What do you want here? What, you thought this team was going to win 11 games, 12 games? I know the defense was great. I know Sauce Gardner, top three quarterback in the NFL right now. I get all that. And I look at the schedule, first off. I mean, the AFC North. Brutal division, three playoff teams, uh, two playoff teams, excuse me, with Cincinnati and Baltimore. You get one of the toughest ho- home divisions in the AFC East where you got to play Josh Allen twice. You got to play the Miami Death Star crazy Tyreek Hill offense twice. And then you got to play Bill Belichick's defense twice. And then on top of that, oh, the end of the season was winnable. Detroit almost made the playoffs. Jacksonville did. Seattle did. This was a tough schedule. Seven and 10 with. There have been worse quarterbacks statistically than like Mike White. There was not a worse quarterback situation in the entire league than the New York Jets had. Maybe Carolina. I'll give you Carolina. But again, Carolina was in the easiest division in the league where Tampa Bay was eight and nine and they won it. What's going on here? Like what? Now you gotta go from four and thirteen to the Super Bowl? Well, Cincinnati and Jacksonville, that I get that. Look at Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. You can win games with them. How are you supposed to win games with Mike White, Joe Flacco, Chris Strevler, Canadian Taysom Hill? How are you? How is this supposed to function? I I just don't get it. Hey, hey no, no, Chris Strevler slander. Oh, All right, I let's get that straight. No. Chris the <laughs> Look, the fact he was even in that game on the run, like I get it was funny, like especially when he completed that little dump off pass and everybody goes. Dude, like, I, the fact I he's in on the roster life. is just that's oh, poor man. management, man. I was in MetLife, and I honestly one of the, my favorite moments I've ever like watched the Jets live was when Chris Trevler came to the game and 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 just started 
miraculous season. Like honestly, the uh, the pass that he had over the middle of the field, I, I'm already forgetting who it was to. It was a Conklin, I think. Uzama. Uh, Uzama, yeah, it was to Uzama. Was simultaneously one of the hypest and like most disappointing moments because everybody in the stadium for that play, every single person. I don't know if you can see it live on on TV, but in the stadium, everybody saw Uzama open that entire play. You could you before Strebler even saw him, the entire crowd was like, oh, oh my god, like getting ready to get excited, and then Strebler threw it, and obviously it was. You know, it's just uh, you can't even throw the ball thirty yards. They're, they're but, running the, the triple option. It was like watching an Army Navy game. Yeah. Um, well, I, I forgot what I was about to say. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, just you know, I think when it comes to the 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 Jets season, right? It's fair to be upset and fair to be disappointed that they started six and three, they started seven and four, and missed the playoffs. And I think if you take a step back. It's a success overall, but I also think that the Jets simultaneously overachieved and underachieved this year. They overachieved because they were six and three to start the year. They were seven and four. There was talks at one point after they had, you know, beaten the the, the Dolphins that, hey man, maybe or after they beat the Bills too, like maybe they could even push for division. Like that was a conversation that they could win the AFCs. Imagine saying that in August that the Jets would be competing at a point in this season for the division, and it wasn't a, like it was past week one. That that's an overachievement in, in its own right. Unfortunately, they then lost their last six games of the year. Now you could point to just, you know, horrible quarterback play, Mike White getting hurt, that sucked. Brees Hall and Elijah Tucker getting hurt, that sucked. But you have to also look at that as a disappointment, that they couldn't finish the job, that they did lose their final six games. They had a golden opportunity. Uh, Miami collapsed. They, they collapsed in the second half of the year. They absolutely, the Jets absolutely should have made the playoffs this year. If they win one of those Patriots games, if they win that Lions game, if they win the Jags game, games that were all winnable, if they win even one of them, Week 18 is a play in, win and play-in game against Skylar Thompson. like that, And it's hard not to, to think about that. So I'd say, yes, the Jets season was a success because they did accomplish what their goal was, which was to play meaningful football in December, play meaningful football in January. They did that. They were playing. They played on January 1st in a game where they were fighting for their playoff lives. That is already progress. That's significant progress. But considering where they were midseason – it's they underachieved. It's also a disappointment because they could have done so much more. Well, here's one thing that at least makes me a little more optimistic and a little less into the doom and gloom about because, yeah, it was a disappointing way to end the season. I get that. One of the big complaints I heard near the end of the season was what is their identity? Are they a smash mouth team? Are they a West Coast team? Is it chuck it deep? Mike White was throwing 60 times a game. They had an identity in those first four games. We're going to run Brees Hall at you behind Elijah Vera Tucker. We're going to beat you down. Zach Wilson's going to make a couple of bit throws that are a little difficult. Like, I'm not saying Zach Wilson's never made a good throw in his life. He has. And then we're just going to smother you with this insane pass defense, which, by the way, never allowed a 300-yard passer. Joe Burrow at 275, he was the most. And they allowed two 100-yard receivers the entire year. Amari Cooper, week two at 101, and George Pickens, week four at 102. So that's how good this defense is. And it's not really going anywhere because so many of the key pieces are staying here. So they had an identity in those games. Then what happens, I would say, I don't know about your best offensive player, your most important, Brees Hall, done for the year. Elijah Vera Tucker, your second most, you could argue, done for the year. And then they're just bailing water trying to find anything that works. They're playing Mike White. They're playing Strevler running the single wing like it's Newt Rockney in the 20s. It just this, this was just, I hate to use this excuse, it was just bad luck and just bad circumstance because every single injury – Happened number one at once because Hall and Vera Tucker were at the same time, and it was just destabilizing. 
Yeah, I, I will push back on some of that. I'll say that they, uh, I guess I could, it's, it's officially fine to say this now because the season's over. They had remarkable injury luck on the defensive side of the ball. They had almost that entire, like going into week 18, that was pretty much their entire starting defense from week one. The only missing piece was LaMarcus Joyner, which, you know, if we're being honest, that's not much of a missing piece. That's an upgrade, uh, you could argue. Yeah, honestly, it was. Like Tony Adams was actually an upgrade. Um, but they were remarkably healthy on that side of the ball. Even a guy like Quan Alexander, who had played more than 12 games in his career once going into this year, he played all 17 games. Sauce Gardner played all 17 games. DJ Reed played all 17 games. Uh, Quinn Williams missed one game. Like they, Carl Lawson played all 17 games, despite the fact that he had two Achilles surgeries in the offseason. So, you know, he. I think they had remarkable luck on that side of the ball, which is part of the reason why the defense was as good as it was. Um, I think that happens so often in the NFL. It's just like the team that stays the healthiest ends up succeeding the most. Uh, the Jets' defense was great, legitimately great. And this isn't to take away from how good they were because Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed are the best cornerback duo in the NFL. And I know people will say James Bradbury and, and DJ Reed, but they're the best cornerback duo in the NFL. Quinn Williams is a top three or four D tackle in the NFL right now. They have some really, really good pieces on that defense, but they're also very healthy. The offense struggling yeah, you could absolutely blame that on injuries. Uh, but I also think it just it goes beyond that, too. It's just, you know, when you have bad quarterback play, that's going to tank everything. That's I've, I've made a point of that on Twitter numerous times. And, you know, people will pick apart this roster and pick apart the coaching staff and say all these things that are wrong. And that's absolutely correct. Like, the, the Jets have weaknesses outside of quarterback. But if you get a good quarterback in there, if you get a Derek Carr, a Jimmy Garoppolo, Anybody. whoever, somebody <laughs> run the damn offense. All of those issues are going to seem so much more minuscule. They're not going to be a, they're, they're going to just seem so much more insignificant. If you just have competent quarterback play, those issues, they don't disappear, but they're just less prominent. They're less prevalent. And I think that's something that Jets fans really just need to, to realize going into this offseason. Get a freaking quarterback because this, that's something this team, this organization has failed to do for decades. Get a damn quarterback and all of these issues will seem a lot less significant. I think it's the two factors that really make this, in my opinion, seem worse than it is just in a vacuum for it happened to another team. Or number one, the playoff drought because the playoff drought is extended. For those that don't know, I believe it's now 12 consecutive years at the Jets and missed the playoffs and Denver is in second place with six. And that was coming off a Super Bowl, So there's really no one else close in terms of futility and the fact that the quarterback situation is so dire. And there are times where even if you're playing poorly, as long as you got like, look at the bears, number one, overall pick lost 10 games in a row. Worst Stevens in the league. They got Justin Fields. There's some optimism there. The fact that you had to watch this Mike white go 30 of 50, get 12 points because he stunk in the red zone or watch Zach Wilson go 16 of 28 for 150 when guys are wide open he's chucking balls over guys heads and hitting guys on the sideline that made it more frustrating I think if tensions calm down you just take a breath and realize okay it's impossible to win games in the AF freaking C with all these great quarterbacks when you're playing what's left of Joe Flacco and Mike White with half of his ribs turned into chunky salsa I think it might actually might ratchet down the tensions just a little bit and might make it seem, all right, you know what? All of our young players, for the most part, did pretty well. Garrett Wilson, hit. Sauce Gardner, super, super hit. Brees Hall, really good. Jermaine Johnson, above average in certain aspects, not bad for a rookie. Michael Clemens, very good for a fourth-round pick. Max Mitchell did his job. Jeremy Ruckert, one game, looked okay. Like, there's optimism there. Don't just go in there, oh, this is fire solo. Oh, yeah, fire the guy that made the defense good. Yeah, that's, that'll solve everything. 
Agreed. We, we had another uh, chat here from Kev. He said, Michael Nani had a good article today uh, or stating that the Jets didn't prioritize quicker developing crossers and slants to hide the O-line weaknesses. Yeah, I, I think that they definitely could have done things uh, over the last few games, specifically when the offensive line really started to struggle to, to take the pressure off the O-line to just make the situation better. I do think somebody needs to answer for why the offensive line struggled as bad as they did. And I think that, you know, you could see someone like John Benton, the offensive line coach, take the heat for that and take the fall ultimately if the Jets do want to make some coaching changes because that offensive line wasn't awful for a lot of the year. And I know they had injuries. Like I know that they, they had a revolving door at offensive tackle. I know Nate Herbig was playing banged up. I know Dwayne Brown was playing banged up. But the Jets' offensive line should not have been as bad as it was. And I know teams are stacking the box. I know I've heard it all. Like, you can make all the excuses. The Jets' offensive line, they had enough talent to not be – realistically, they were a bottom five unit for the last, like, three, four games of the season. They were really bad. Um, and somebody needs to take the blame for that, whether that's John Benton, whether it's Michael Floor, whether it's the players themselves. Because someone, someone needs to explain why Lakin Tomlinson has fallen, fallen off a cliff. Because he's not with the Jets. Part. You know why. <laughs> like, look – I know he was playing next to Trent Williams, and and I understand that, that that significantly helps him. And I expected regression. I think most Jets fans expected regression. But he was legitimately probably a bottom 8 to 10 uh, guard in football this year. I think PFF had him, like, bottom 8 or something. Uh, so he, he was really bad. He like, seems he was like really a guy really that I'd be willing to just say, you know what, like, sometimes you just have bad years. I'm not willing to just throw out a guy pro bowler, started for a long time in a similar law offense. Like, I get that he was bad near the end of the year, but – if you want to say let's run it back one more year with Lake and Thompson, I'd be I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Well, I think they have to. They're stuck to that contract for at least another year. I don't believe they can get out of it without eating just a significant amount of dead cap and not being able to replace him. So they're gonna be stuck with him for another year. Hopefully he bounces back. But like so I, I agree. I agree, Kev. Somebody somebody does need to answer for the offensive line's weaknesses. And I think the Jets coaching staff could have done a better job to mask their issues. Uh, we do have one, one another chat here from my buddy, Nick. Uh, I see you, Nick. He, uh, he, this is his Utah boy. Dalton Kincaid, he said, should the Jets consider Dalton Kincaid out of Utah to help the offense take pressure off Garrett Wilson? I, I do think that – this is kind of an ingest comment, but uh, I, I do think that the Jets are pretty set at tight end. Conklin and Uzama will be coming back next year. They have Jeremy Ruckert. I like Dalton Kincaid, good player, but I, I don't receiver. think – Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be looking for a tight end. Although Dalton Kincaid – it's a good player. I, I, I like Dalton Kincaid. Um, I mean, if they just go know. BPA and they cut like Uzama, because I think they can get out of that contract, I wouldn't be crazy opposed to it. But, I mean, if, would, if you're talking just draft needs, which are way down the road anyway, you got to go get some linemen, get some linebackers. That's where you got to say. Like, Dalton Kincaid's fine. Not a fit with the Jets, personally, for me, just because they, they got tight yeah. end. I agree. They got more important positions to address. Um, you know, you can even look at the defense, linebacker safety. One position they don't have to address is D tackle because of this man, Quinnen Williams. Obviously, the Quinnen Williams contract situation. You like that segue? I know you did. That's why you uh, get paid the big bucks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Quinnen Williams obviously uh, was a very good player going into the season, and I think people knew that that he was a very very good player. But we hadn't seen him necessarily live up to the expectations of being a third overall pick. Until this season, when he broke out, finished with, like you see there, 55 tackles, 52 pressures on significantly less uh, uh, snaps as well than a lot of the guys around him. Uh, 12 sacks. He was a phenomenal player, legitimately one of the top 
defensive tackles in football in a fantastic defensive tackle season too, if I must say. I mean, you got Chris Jones was unreal this season. Dexter Lawrence was phenomenal. Jeffrey Simmons, Aaron Donald, Cam Hayward, Javon Hargrave. There are so many great defensive tackles this year. And Quinton Williams was absolutely one of them. He was one of the best defensive players in football. So of course, the Quinton Williams discussion is what is his contract situation? What is he going to be paid? Will the Jets pay him? They have, a, unfortunately, a, a recent history of not paying a lot of their star players. Now, of course, this is a different situation. But, Mike, what are your thoughts on the Quinn Williams situation? Do you think the Jets do extend him? Well, I want to kind of ballpark what I think he's going to get. And this comes from our good buddy Rich Samini at ESPN, who all Jets fans love and don't have a bad thing to say about ever. <laughs> and hey, we, love, we love Rich. We love Rich. We, is a good guy. we love you, Rich. We love you, Rich. He claims that Quinn is thought to be seeking more than twenty-one million per year annually, which would make him the second-highest-paid defensive tackle in the league. But in all honesty, he's going to be the highest-paid because Aaron Donald is the highest-paid by so far a margin. And Aaron Donald's not even really a human; he's just like a, a Greek hero. He's like uh, <laughs> Perseus or someone of that ilk, or Kratos, if you want a more uh, cosmopolitan. Uh, reference like that's the that's where Aaron Donald is so it's almost not even worth comparing him to Aaron Donald now 21 million would take him above Chris Jones and Leonard Williams and honestly I know that it's tough because the Jets have so many young players that they have to pay eventually like you got to save room for a Sauce Gardner extension and a Brees Hall extension and a Vera Tucker extension and however much money you're going to pay to get this new quarterback in but this is a complete culture changer, culture setter, especially for Robert Sala's defense because for a defensive lineman, this is both an ideal scheme and it's also one of the toughest. It's very similar to that Tampa Monty Kiffin thing where they're going to blitz four linemen a lot. They're really not going to take a ton of chances like compared to the rest of the league. So on one hand, it gives you a lot of individual freedom as a defensive tackle because he trusts you a lot. But on the other hand, if you don't play well, you really get isolated a lot, and it's very easy to see who's not performing well. Uh, cough, cough, Carl Lawson. So, if you lose, I mean, he Carl Lawson played through some crazy. Like he was barely running before training camp. He, tr- he tried. Uh, he tried hard. I'm not going to say he didn't try, but I mean, there were times where he was just getting washed out of place. Mm-hmm. But if you lose Quinn and Williams, there is nobody that will be available that is going to be close to Quinn and Williams, and you're not going to use some of your premium draft capital on a Quinton Williams replacement when you have so many other pressing needs. So this is a deal that they have to get done. Have to, have to, have to. Priority number two after quarterback. Get this thing done. Agreed. I I think that Joe Douglas knows that. Joe Douglas knows how good Quinton Williams is. Um, I know that they said uh, people were like reading into his – his quote in the his post game or his postseason interview where he basically was non-committal about it. He wasn't. He didn't say we are going to sign Quinn Williams. I think a lot of that is just him trying to not back himself into a corner like he did Jamal Adams when they said Jamal Adams is you know he's going to be a Jet for life. That's that was the famous quote that went around. That was the infamous quote, and unfortunately that that didn't happen. That that kind of was an old take exposed, whatever you want to say. Uh, and I think Joe Douglas is just trying to avoid a situation like that. I would be very, very surprised, like stunned and also livid if the Jets <laughs> did not extend Quentin Williams this offseason. Uh, I do think they will. I think that it's going to be like a reasonable contract for someone like him, too. He's a 25. He just turned 25. He's one of the best defensive players in football coming off a career year. He has I will also say this. He has handled this situation um, like and in a t- most like in the most team friendly way possible. He could have made us think about this last offseason. Absolutely. He didn't because he was banking on himself and it worked out. But like he could have made us think about this way before then. So I have zero issues with him coming out. 
uh, uh, this week and saying, hey, I won't attend voluntary OTAs if I don't get an extension. He shouldn't. He has absolutely earned that extension. There's no reason why he shouldn't be, be given this money. Uh, he's done everything right on and off the field. I think he will get that money. Um, I think realistically, you're probably looking at like ballpark four years, 95 million, something like that, right? Where it's, you know, a, a little shy of 25 million a year, I think is reasonable. I do think it'll be over that 21 million. If it's not awesome, like if it's around 21, 22 million, great, because I got the numbers pulled up. Uh, DeForest Buckner is the second highest paid D tackle behind Aaron Donald in um, AAV, and his is 21 million, right? So, and is it fair if you're Quinnen's better than DeForest Buckner right now? Yes, yes, I would definitely say that Quinn Williams had he had a better season than DeForest Buckner for sure. Um, I think Chris, looking at those numbers, by the way, Chris Jones underpaid because he was unbelievable. Absolutely, that that uh, I mean, he he had to take a little less because of that Mahomes contract, but. I mean, yeah, what a deal for for Brett Veach, man. I don't know. That's yeah. like Atlanta Braves level of stealing talent for cheap. Definitely. I, I know somebody that will be paying close attention to Quinn Williams' contract situation is Jeffrey Simmons because he also has uh, – he's also looking for a new contract very soon, perhaps as soon as this offseason. But I, I do think the Jets ultimately do extend Quinn Williams. I think it'll be roughly around four years, $95 million. The guarantees will be interesting. I'd imagine – it won't go up to like 50k uh, or 50 50k 50 million in graduate. <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah, you just caught it whenever. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't think it'll go up to 50 million. It'll probably be around somewhere like 40 to 45, which is what the market has been set as right now. Um, so I, I think that that's realistically what you're looking at. If we know anything about Joe Douglas too, the way that he's structured contracts in the past, they'll have an out after year two. Probably. It, it maybe for Quentin Williams would be different, maybe an out after year three, but he'll have some kind of out in there because they they have shown, you know, that they don't want to be locked into contracts long-term. And even with, you know, Carl Lawson, we brought him up a little bit. And I know Kev has another uh, point here. He said that read somewhere that Lawson had a second surgery before OTAs. So he might be better next year, but cap savings along with playing more Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff makes sense. Uh, Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about potentially, you know, potential cuts for the Jets, potential cap casualties. Carl Lawson is a name that will be brought up because they can essentially walk on or move on from him for, nothing like they i think it's less than a million dollars in dead cap uh again because of the way that joe douglas has structured that contract um so you know maybe they'll move on from him but i do agree that yeah I, and you mentioned carlos before he was underwhelming this season um just to get sidetracked for a moment but i i think so much of that was that dude was it's a miracle he even played 17 games considering uh i that, that same report that kev's referring to was from connor hughes you know sny's connor hughes and he said that uh, Lawson was not even running before training camp. Like that's, that's where he was at. Cause he had to have a second Achilles surgery. Um, but yeah, just, just for Quinn Williams, I do think they extend him. I think it'll be a reasonable enough deal. Um, and I think it'll be the first major, I know they've re-signed John Franklin Myers, but it'll be, this will be the first like true superstar the Jets have extended since who Muhammad Wilkerson. Like it's been a long time. I think he uh, might be the most recent first round pick that they've given an extension to. Yeah, I think you're right. They didn't do it with Sheldon Richardson. Nope. They certainly didn't do it with Calvin Pryor and Darren Lee and just this graveyard of of busts. Now, let me put my tinfoil hat on for a second because I think this is actually an interesting dynamic with the whole Quinn and Williams thing. I wonder how much Quincy is going to come into play. Like, obviously, it'd be cool, you know, the brothers playing together. Is Quinn saying, look, if I sign, you also got to sign my brother back? Is he going to take less money to play with his brother? I think that's something worth watching, especially because, if I'm being honest, Quincy's an NFL linebacker, but like as a starter for a defense of this caliber, I'm really not sure. Because if you look at the cornerbacks, mostly the starting nickel package with Sauce, DJ Reed, and Michael Carter, 
they only gave up four touchdowns all season long in primary coverage. So where did the other ones come from? How else were they moving the ball? How was Trevor Lawrence finding Evan Engram? They were going at guys like Quincy Williams. So I do wonder if he's going to have some say, if Quinnen is going to go, you know what, I'll take less to play with him, or if I come back, bring him back or I'm going somewhere else, because that's happened before, especially with a lot of quarterback contracts. I know Quinnen is not a quarterback, obviously. But we've seen stars of a certain ilk say, get this guy to be my backup or I'm leaving. That's not unprecedented. Carson Palmer, I remember, was big on that. That's why I get frustrated with the Bengals because he said, bring John Kitna back as my backup, and they didn't. So I Quincy's okay. I think he's a fine backup. But And you know what? If he helps bring Quinnen back, let, let's go 56. Yeah, I, that's a, it's a great point to bring up. I do think that that could play into the role. I know they have the same agent as well, and Nicole Lynn is, I believe, both of their agents. So that also could play a factor. Um, I'm not sure it'll be a deal breaker, but it could be one of those where it's like, a, hey, if you could bring back Quincy Williams, or maybe Quincy Williams gets offers from other teams and the Jets extend Quinn and Williams, but then maybe they can bring back Quincy for less money because Quincy wants to play with his brother. I think something like that could happen. I know the Jets coaching staff absolutely loves Quincy Williams. They love his heart. They love his motor. Uh, he is one of the most volatile players in the entire NFL. Like I, I truly – I'm not sure there's another player that I could think of uh, that is more volatile just kind of just from highest of highs to the lowest of lows than Quincy Williams. Uh, just, you know, he'll flash moments where he looks like an all-pro linebacker where he'll just shoot into the gap and just make a, a huge hit in the backfield. But then he'll have moments where you're just like, what is this guy doing? Or he'll he's basically kind of a runaway train and he'll derail and, and miss a tackle. Um, it happens a lot with him. I do think the Jets need to upgrade a linebacker, but I'm not opposed to bringing back Quincy Williams, especially, like you said, if it uh, if it helps bring back Quincy Williams. That would be great. They're that joins at the hip. I know. Uh, last thing, uh, Kev said that uh, – one more chat here. He said, Bart Scott proposed extending Quinn Williams, make Orlando Brown Jr. the highest paid off the tackle, signed Dallin Thompson to free up uh, Quinn and Williams. Um, as far as Orlando Brown goes, mm. I don't think that that's a move the Jets make. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he really struggle this year? You bet he did. Uh, yeah. Didn't he want like, uh, $25 million a year too? Yeah, I think he really struggled this year. I don't think they should do that. As a rule of thumb, and this is not meant to be a shot, don't listen to Bart Scott too often. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Bart. He's he's uh he's obviously a Jets legend. Uh and and you know, but just yeah, don't don't always take everything he says. I take everything he says with a grain of salt. But I, I don't think the Jets would do that. I don't think Orlando Brown is a good fit for this scheme at all, unless they're willing to switch up their this scheme. Um, and go more power run, and you know, and they had some success with that this year. But I, I think that that I don't know. I don't know if that would make the most sense for them. If but, you watched the Jets would, this year, and your takeaway was, you know what, Quinn and Williams was being a little bit limited. I feel like that's not probably the uh, I don't know about the most accurate. I think it might be the best way to say it. I think that the proper take was, holy crap, what are these quarterbacks doing? <laughs> and that should be yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Well. That's probably going to do it for us today. We went about an hour. Uh, I appreciate everybody stopping by for our first stream. This was so much fun, Mike. I, I had a blast. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, and, yeah, be sure to, you know, we'll, we'll hit all the stuff. Be sure to subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You know, do all that stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. Uh, of course, follow the Jet Press on Twitter at the Jet Press. You can download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, of course, and check us out on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, all that stuff. You know, you know, you know what to do. Thank you guys for listening to the Jet Press podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That's been Mike Luciano. 
and we got a cool graphic to end this thing and i'm excited that we do thank you guys for joining in we'll see you next time see you guys Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.